minimalists. <laughs> well, hello, patrons. Ryan, this is for the true fans. Yeah, man. And the VIPs. Yeah. Thank you so much for being a supporter. We know who really loves us. Yes. Yeah. The VIPs. The VIPs. And the, and true, the true fans. fans. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. To a lesser extent. Actually... The VIP tier, you are—you can't get in it at this point. It's so exclusive. <laughs> it's like trying to get into One Oak when Leonardo DiCaprio's there. What? <laughs> what is One Oak? It's a nightclub up on Sunset. Oh, All right. That's funny. Dan has a question for us. This is Ask the Minimalist Anything. Dan asks, in times of isolation, do parameters need to be set for what we hold on to? And Bryce has a similar question. What modification should be made to the just-for-win rule when preparing for uncertain circumstances like we see during a pandemic? Mm. So uh, let's take the pandemic thing out. I mean, yes, the, we're in a pandemic, but the lockdown is over, but it's not over. And so we're in a weird sort of in-between limbo time. Yeah. Now, Dan's asking about in times of isolation, do parameters need to be set for what we hold on to? Do we need to change the parameters? And my response to that would be, we should have probably changed the parameters before mm-hmm. the pandemic or before a time of isolation. And what I would use is the just-in-case and just-for-win rule, right? They, I think they're still applicable. And Bryce is saying, do we modify the just for win rule? Do I need seven boxes of toilet paper? Right. No. You, and here's the thing. I, I, I haven't modified anything except what the stores have forced me to modify. Mm-hmm. Now, Ryan, I told you this already that with the whole toilet paper shortage, now when you go to Target to buy toilet paper, which is where I go to buy toilet paper, yeah. they make you buy a case of like 28. Hmm. Now, I never used to buy toilet paper 28 rolls at a time hmm. i would prefer to buy you know the whatever it is the 12 pack or the eight pack or whatever and yet now i'm forced because it's the only option i order mine off of ebay one square at a time <laughs> <laughs> shipping costs have got to be astronomical for you <laughs> yeah but i'm a minimalist i have them same day deliver it to me no man well you know it's interesting i think about how could you have changed Let's think about pre-pandemic, okay? Uh-huh. Or I, I guess right now, well, let's just talk about the here and now. We are pre-disaster right now, okay? There's going to be another disaster in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. We're also post-disaster. What's that? We're post-disaster. Yeah, we're well. post-disaster, but we're also pre-disaster for the next for the next crazy disaster. It's impossible to prepare for everything. So even pre-pandemic, unless you know some fortune teller came to you that you know was known for being a great fortune teller which i haven't heard of one or met one even nostradamus didn't get it all right no he got most things wrong yeah by the way if you make a bunch of wild predictions some of something's gonna come true the broken clock is right twice a day. that's what i've learned about religion man they just throw out a bunch of like wild predictions and then when something happens they're like see that was the seventh sign of the beast it's <laughs> this it is anyway uh you can't change your just for when to prepare for everything so there are some disasters that you simply aren't going to be prepared for. Mm. And the only way you would have been able to prepare for the pandemic is if there was a fortune teller who could have convinced you that, hey, the pandemic is going to happen and you're going to need to stock up on toilet paper. Yeah. And so so maybe there, we have a rule called the emergency item rule. Right. Do you have to change your emergency items? I don't know. 
maybe now if you feel like they're going to defund the police and, and, and completely remove them from your city, maybe it makes sense for you to have a firearm. Mm. Go back and listen to the conversation I had with Podcast Sean, yeah. uh, a 20, 25-minute conversation on the quarantine conversations about you know the, the pros and cons of, of gun ownership and, and, and also what, is it, what does it look like to be a responsible gun, gun owner because there is a responsibility with any new thing that we bring into our life, but especially something like a gun that has dire consequences if used inappropriately. Right. Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, to answer this question, no. You don't need to change your just for when. You don't need to change <clears throat> your... Well, uh, you, don't, you don't have to hoard. There, there's, no, there's no reason to change your just for when or just, in, or just for emergencies. Uh, as an, don't use that as an excuse to hoard things. And I think that's what this question is really asking. Right. It's going towards the, the toilet paper. Like, now should I buy it in 28 rolls? Well, I mean, I guess if, if, that's, only option, if that's only option, then yeah, okay. Right. But uh, but no, I, I wouldn't encourage you to use that as an excuse to hoard. Maybe, uh, like I know in Los Angeles, because we're prone to earthquakes, like if I had room, if well, if I had a house that was sitting by itself, I'd have a generator. Mm-hmm. But the apartment buildings I live, live in, they have generators. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't need a generator. But, but yeah, if I moved into a house... And uh, uh, it was in Los Angeles that I know eventually is going to have a blackout because of an earthquake. Then yeah, like maybe I would have a gas generator. You would update your emergency item exactly. list accordingly. Yeah, yeah. but so, you also wouldn't have ten of them. Yes, that's exactly right. But yeah, so I guess another way to say this is make sure you have just for one items that are appropriate for you, but don't use uh, fear to to drive you into just buying a bunch of just for when items that that you're literally buying on you know on on a whim because toilet paper sold out at the store you never look in the rear view and wish you would have panicked more right thank you bryce thank you dan lotto has a question for us i've deepened my relationship with minimalism since lockdown i've had more time to sit with my thoughts cultivate a passion for writing and reading and not go out wasting time in shops or other places that don't add value to my life how have you spent your time in lockdown Dude, I've been practicing Spanish. Yeah. C. <laughs> it's funny, man. Like, I really couldn't have a full conversation in Spanish. Uh-huh. Uh, but um, I could certainly get by at this point. Like, mm. if I if I was in a Spanish-speaking only country where they didn't speak English, which is really not. I mean, I guess there are some cities and stuff that I could be in. But anyway, uh, so that's been good. I've been practicing um, instruments a little bit more than when I used to, which is good. Yeah. Um. But, you know, as far as minimalism, if anything, I've just, it's just reinforced the way I've been living. It's just like, uh, there's a gratefulness that I have for preparing for this pandemic because I truly have things that serve a purpose or bring me joy. And like when the pandemic hit, it wasn't any different. It wasn't like, oh no, I got rid of everything. I love that New Yorker cartoon where the, the guy is in his chair and like, he's got an empty bookshelf and his wife's like opens the door and she's like, sorry that you just decided to minimize your life before the pandemic. <laughs> You're going to be bored now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a funny joke, but like it that, is. Yeah. And, and I've actually seen some articles are like, this is the end of minimalism. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, and what they do is they create the straw man argument for right. minimalism. Minimalism right. is about deprivation. Minimalism is only about utility. Mm-hmm. And, that's not what you and I have talked about. As a minimalist, everything serves a purpose or it brings me joy. We said that in 2010. We say it now in 2020. And that 
is still true. Now, the things that serve a purpose or bring joy to my life, the things that add value to my life are different in 2020 from what they were in 2010. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still willing to adjust accordingly, but the principle still stands. 100%. And so my life hasn't changed uh, since the the pandemic. And we, we just finished the third draft of Love People Use Things and turned that in. Uh, yesterday and in in doing that yeah, first Ryan and I set out to write this relationship book because I thought we were done writing about minimalism like uh, there was a period where I'm like I feel like we've said everything I need to say about simple living mm-hmm. after we wrote this book here everything that remains right and that we wrote the first draft of this in 2012 so it's been almost a decade at this point and things have have changed but the primary thing that changed is we've both gotten into long-term intimate partnerships with someone that we love right yeah. you with Mariah me with Bex and so the question was like well can we write a relationship book and as that began to unravel that idea unraveled onto the page what you and I realized was Yes, we can talk about relationships, but the reason most of our relationships haven't worked in the past has a lot more to do with me than it has to do with them. Mm -hmm. So maybe the reason your relationship with Mariah, my relationship with Bex has gone so well was, of course, the selection process Mm -hmm. where where we selected someone who shared similar values to us and we could get along with and, and had a caring and understanding, et cetera. But that's only one relationship. There are all these other relationships. Our relationship with our stuff, which you and I fixed a long time ago mm-hmm. and continue to monitor closely. Yeah. Our relationship with the truth mm-hmm. and uh, being able to be radically honest without you know, beating people over the head with, with you know, under the guise of being radically honest, uh, still being considerate, compassionate. Our relationship with ourselves has improved immensely over the last 10 years. Yeah. Right? Uh, and then, of course, our relationship with our values, identifying what those values are, our relationship with money, getting really clear on that, our relationship with creativity and distractions and technology and defining what that looks like so that one, you know, our, our relationship with technology is a tool and doesn't distract us from being creative. And then ultimately, our relationship with people. And so we set out to write this book as a relationship book but ryan strangely it became two other things in the process Hmm. to me it became i've just been toying around with this idea the last day or so it's a minimalism encyclopedia in a way Mm. and what i mean by that is when we talk about minimalism it's getting rid of the stuff so we can use all of our intent our resources intentionally and this is how to use your resources intentionally to have a better relationship with yourself and a better relationship with the people around you. So not only is it a relationship book, it's a simple living encyclopedia. And then ultimately, strangely, we finished the first draft of this in the spring in the midst of a pandemic. Mm. And what I didn't realize is we had also written a pandemic preparation manual. (laughs) And it was like, man, if I could have only gotten this book into the hands of my 27-year-old self in 2008 before the crash, mm-hmm. how much I would have gotten value from it. Or if I could have only gotten it into the hands 
of everyone over the last decade because now over the last decade the problem has compounded mm. a decade ago when you and i first started the minimalists it was this problem we had with consumerism mm. but now it's a problem with distraction mm -hmm. it's a problem with decadence both material and not and so we've added these distraction machines to our pocket and and the fire hose of information that is pointed directly at our heads and in a way this is a a pandemic preparation novel to help us prepare not for this current pandemic but any crisis so a crisis pandemic or a crisis preparation mm. uh, manual that that i really wish i could have gotten to the hands of people before this whole thing started yeah totally agree np has a question since covid I guess this is the Ask the Minimalist Anything About the Pandemic uh, edition. Since COVID, I'm starting to notice that when I get still, I find that the wisdom I need is right with me. Mm. Therefore, seeking wisdom has been less about scouring books and more about becoming still. Mm. I love you, that. You know, Derek Sivers says this thing. Uh, he says, a good book changes someone's mind. A great book changes someone's actions. Mm. But of course, and, I, and I, I quote him in Love People Use Things About This and say, I think Ryan and I have written a good book. It's up to you to determine whether or not it's a great book. Yeah. Meaning you need to do something with this information. So I, I agree with what MP is saying, but also I think it's good to have the information. But information is not power. It is only potential power. Yeah. I feel like uh, when we are... <clears throat> I don't know, when we're searching for the right answer, uh, when we feel like our life is out of control, we go to, yeah, uh, books, podcasts, and we try to externally look for something. But I think, uh, yes, this pandemic is forcing people to be a little bit more still mm -hmm. and uh, in a way more uh, meditative. And yes. when you get to that point, you you do start to realize that you kind of do have the answers. It's like, you know, when I look back at uh, when I was in the tornado of uh, of the corporate world and, and drugs and drinking and womanizing and like going through all those things, the answer was obvious right in front of me. Like I needed to change who I was fundamentally as a person. I needed to, to change what it was that I sought out. And instead I thought, oh, you know, I'll just listen to Tony Robbins and become a better person. And now he did help me reframe a lot of things. Like I don't want to undermine uh, the value in you know some some self help or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, I think Awaken the Giant Within is is mandatory reading for every nineteen year old. Yeah, like it's an amazing book. But but until I actually decided to take some action myself, like it doesn't matter what I read, it doesn't matter you know uh, w what information I purchased and ingested, um, I had to take action myself. So, exactly. so yeah, uh, I, I totally could see where someone in this pandemic is realizing that a lot of the answers to their problems are right in front of them. Yes. And, and maybe that stillness creates the room for you to understand it, but then eventually stillness for the sake of stillness, it can become procrastination. Yep. And so it's finding that line of knowing when to also take action, the right action right, right Nima has a question how does one get in the mood to do something enough times for it to become a habit you have to start doing it when you're not in the mood right, right. <laughs> yeah I mean it's like writing or practicing guitar or practicing Spanish mm. it's like I don't always want to 
sit down for a half hour or an hour. I use Rosetta Stone, which, mm-hmm. you know, Benny would say that's like the worst way to learn a language. But yeah. I mean, it's what I have. And I've got like this lifetime membership I purchased like years ago. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it is drudging through the drudgery. Benny would say it's the worst way except not doing anything at all. Right. Yeah, that's true. And, that and so true. like the, the best way is the thing that works for you. Mm-hmm. And no, you might not be in the mood to, to do Spanish every day to start mm-hmm. learning Spanish. But the key is to do it even when you're not in the mood. Do it when you're in the mood for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, is, is that Fitzgerald who said, uh, I write only when I'm inspired. I make sure I'm inspired every morning at 8 a.m. Yeah. Like that, that's, the, I mean, it's become, or maybe it's Mark Twain. I'm not sure. But yeah. but the, the point is the same, that you have to do it even when you're not inspired. That mm-hmm. is how you become inspired to do it. There's almost like, yeah, there's a platitude there, man, about... It's important to do it when you're motivated. Mm-hmm. It's more important to do it when you're not motivated. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Hawkins says, do you think people will soon look to have bigger homes with gardens? What new home and work trends will we see in the future? Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, yeah. so it depends on the person, right? Some, I mean, uh, Bex would love to have a farmhouse. Now, we can't do that in LA. She grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the, the question is, do we want a bigger house so we can store more stuff that we're not going to use? If so, that's not very intentional. Yeah. If you want to have a farm so you can grow your own food, that seems like the most intentional thing mm-hmm. that you could do, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and have your own you know, livestock or whatever. Like t- To me, that makes sense. The, the question then is, what is appropriate for you? That would be appropriate for Bex. It would not be appropriate for me if I was by myself because I wouldn't. I have no interest in that, right? right? And, and so... But, you know, there's a middle ground, though. Like, Mariah and I live in an apartment. Yes. It has, like, a small little balcony. Right. But, like, dude, we could totally grow some fruit and veggies. Maybe more veggies than fruit. No, tomatoes are fruit. Yes. So we could, we could grow some fruit and veggies and some herbs mm. out on our balcony if we really wanted to. And, mm. in fact, uh, there there is, like, a little project that Mariah and I want to take on. Now we haven't done that because we haven't made it a priority. But th- th- there is a middle ground to not having fresh fruit and vegetables uh, and then owning a farm and growing it all yourself. So are people going to, are people going to want to have bigger houses and grow a farm? Sure. I think that that is going to be something that it will spark an interest in people to do that, but that's not what you necessarily have to do to make it through the next, or if there is another pandemic, who knows? Maybe there'll be another another crisis for sure. Right. And, and so you have to ask yourself, what is appropriate for you? And, that also translates to the second part of that question with work. What new home and work trends will we see in the future? I hope to have Jason Freed back on the podcast. We had him on to talk about how things don't have to be crazy at work, but yeah. I think his first or second book is called Rework, and it's about remote working. Mm-hmm. And his whole company, he has 60 employees at Basecamp, and they don't have an office anymore. Dude, I cannot tell you... How many of my friends who had offices, uh-huh. they, they're, they've been working from home for so long that their company is like, hey, we're getting rid of this overhead of an office. Have you walked through the second floor here lately? No. Live Nation's gone. Really? They, li- so Live Nation they is, our, is, is our, our tour promoter. Yeah. They have an office across the street from here. They have one in Beverly Hills as well, which is like their corporate office. And they, this was sort of a satellite office that they needed more space. You're going to see a lot of business space open up, huh? Absolutely. And yeah. so you're going to see the landscape. I was talking to Carl Widener, our mentor, who 
we did a, a quarantine conversation with him. Or I, I did one with him and talked about the real estate landscape. And I think you're going to see a lot of com- commercial landscape or real estate changing significantly. Mm. And what that means, I'm not entirely sure. Although I, I, this is where I disagree with someone like, actually, we probably end up agreeing with Jason Fried. I think you need a place to work that is separate from your place to live, if we want to call it that. But that, that could also be in your home. Yeah. Stephen King, rather famously, was it his laundry room where he wrote his first two books like and so there it doesn't have to be this lavish corporate headquarters yeah but i like to have the the space to delineate we talked to rich roll about this where where you can go do the thing and then separate your life from that thing yeah it puts you in a state in a way well it's the same thing with like your bedroom right it's made for a couple things. Yes. Watching TV is not one of them. Yes. But if you are like watching TV, eating in bed, no. you know, like those things are, you. it's hard to, it's hard to fall asleep at night. Right. Because that room is used for so many different things mm-hmm. that, uh, yeah, your mind doesn't associate it with what the bed is actually there for. Yes. Yeah. Daniel says, what are your thoughts on digital minimalism and the new remote normal? I'm currently finding it challenging to enforce technological boundaries, especially since I make a living writing and working online. Yeah, I mean, this I, I, I hear what he's saying. If you're having issues with if you're having issues with writing and um, staying free of distractions because of the online things, I mean, there are ways around that. Who is it? Uh, they glued the Ethernet cord. It's uh, Jonathan Franzen. Yeah, so like he glued the Ethernet cord into his computer. He has a separate old computer just for yeah, writing. and he cut it mm-hmm. <laughs> so that he couldn't hardwire Internet in. It doesn't have Wi-Fi on right. it because it's so old. Right. And that computer is literally for his writing. Yeah, and uh, Derek Silvers does the same thing I do. He just turns the modem off when it's time to, to start writing. Yeah, so if you're having issues with distractions... You've got to find ways to get rid of those distractions. And those are simple boundaries. Uh, the yeah. other experiment is you can have someone in your family hide the the password mm-hmm. uh, uh, to your Wi-Fi for a period of time. Or there are several apps now that will allow you to... It's uh, One's called Freedom, I believe. I'm sure Sean knows of some others. But where they will not allow you to do anything except the... You know the writing that you want yeah, to do yeah. uh, on your computer. So basically, effectively shuts you out of your your computer. The other thing yeah. to do with your phone is have you know, Cal Newport, uh, the author of Digital Minimalism, talks about the Fourier rule, mm-hmm. and that that for me it's a junk drawer rule. I just put my smartphone, my my iPhone, in the junk drawer when I yeah. get home, which is quite the metaphor, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Put this junk in the junk drawer. Yeah. There's that app. Uh, I have it on my computer. It's I forget what the heck it's called. Sean, I'll find it and we'll put it in the show notes. I'll send it to you after this. Uh, but it's basically uh, you pick how long you want to write. Mm-hmm. If you stop writing for more than like 30 seconds or 20 seconds, it deletes everything. <laughs> so like you have to, like if you pick five minutes, you've got to just continuously write for five minutes. And then when your time is up, it's like, congratulations, you bet your time and then you get to save your draft. But if you don't, then it like kills all your writing wow it's yeah that's that's great for composition i don't use it all the time uh but like uh, you know um 
Well, if you wanted to write a book in 60 days, uh, you yeah, could do true. that. And so like a thousand words a day in 60 days is 60,000 words, which is the average length of a book. Right. A lot of people use things is considerably longer than that, mm-hmm. but it's much shorter than what it was. And, and so, uh, in terms of the composition process, now it'd be terrible for the editing process, right, yes. but for the composition process, if you could, if you really want to get a book out, then it's getting onto the page is the first, the first step. Yeah. Now those 60,000 words might be crap at first, mm-hmm. but they're going to give you the rock from which you can chisel something beautiful. Yeah. Joyful has a question. You've discussed the principle of changing the people around us. So the line is, uh, change the pe- you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. It's also a wallpaper now. You can mm-hmm. find that at theminimalists.com slash change people if you want to download it for you. It's our most beautiful one, I think. So Joyful is saying, how do uncertain times give us an opportunity to assess or reassess our relationships with friends, family, coworkers, etc.? I would say go back and listen to the, the conversation. Uh, actually, I wouldn't say go back because it's not out yet. Uh, we just recorded it. Uh, this morning with Jamie Kilstein. It's about toxic people. And then the Patreon one is called Letting Go of Toxic Relationships. Mm. I don't know about you, Ryan, but that's one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. It was great, man. It was was so good. And the Patreon one, which will be out, I think, on July 9th, Mm -hmm. is maybe the most personal episode, maybe top two personal episodes we've done on Patreon. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because it's kind of a convenient time during a pandemic to really assess who your true friends are Mm. because you can, you can avoid toxic people a lot easier. Now you don't want to passively avoid toxic people. Um, meaning like you don't want to just, well, sorry, I'd hang out with you, but it's the pandemic. Yeah. Because that's not really honest. Yeah. That's not really honest, but it is a time when, uh, you do have permission to take a step back and, uh, to really assess uh, the people in your life. But, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you want to get rid of toxic people, like you've got to have just some tough conversations that have to happen. Yeah. And uh, just ignoring them isn't isn't the answer. And uh, just placating them isn't the answer. Yeah, we spent three hours with Jamie Kilstein, over two hours on the, the Patreon episode. So definitely check that out. Uh, I will say that my relationships, so this is something we didn't talk about on that, but my relationships during quarantine have improved pretty significantly. Oh, and, yeah. And just overall. And, and because I'm an introvert, I think sometimes I get so caught up in in my introverted tasks that I, the world around me sort of just disappears and and I've made a more concerted effort. Now we did those quarantine conversations with people, but I've extended that to conversations I don't record for mm-hmm. the podcast. And so I've had far more conversations with people even though I'm not necessarily seeing them face to face because of those restrictions, but you don't have to live in the same town with someone to be their friend. In fact, you don't have to talk to them every week or every month to be their friend. There are mm-hmm. some friends I have. We had Jamie Kilstein on here. I don't talk to him every week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get to see him, what, twice, three times a year. Mm-hmm. But every time we see him, it's meaningful. It's quality is greater than quantity. Amen. Finally, Steve has a question for us. Steve says, should minimalism be taught to children and teens through schools and churches? I think many kids are experiencing new simple living ideas brought about by the lockdown, but they may not understand the new concepts in their lives, and so they might think that it's something negative. It's interesting. I think minimalism is automatically taught through churches because you look at all religious principles, and like the one thing they have in common is keep it simple. Yes. 
live a simple life avoid complexity unnecessary complexity yeah uh avoid chasing riches mm. focus on the people in your life mm-hmm. so i mean religious wise i think it's already taught um when i look back at my religious upbringing like that's the one thing well i mean there's a well no actually everything i just mentioned is what i've kind of brought with me yeah uh, and, 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 a few, and a few other morals but but yeah it's it's already covered in religious but in school and stuff i mean do you hit it head on with minimal? Like, here's a class on minimalism. Minimalism 101. Right. Yeah, and, I don't and know. Maybe, but so so let's let's unpack it for a second. The religious thing, the church thing, uh, is it is it addressed? Is simple living addressed indirectly? Of course it is. Uh, I've heard arguments that you know, Jesus is a minimalist, Muhammad was a minimalist, uh, and that the Buddha was a minimalist. Mm-hmm. That Abraham. Uh, was a minimalist mm-hmm. that also atheists like Epictetus, one of the Stoics, was a minimalist. Right. Right. And so these are radically different worldviews. There's some overlap between them, though. And even though they have radically different worldviews, meaning different beliefs, those core tenets, the values, they transfer from religion to to non-religion like, like stoicism which is certainly not a religion it's a set of of beliefs and a set of values yeah and, and i think those principles can map on to our modern life so can we teach it through churches and uh, synagogues etc temples yes of, of course we can can we do it in schools I, I don't know i was just talking to dave ramsey about this he you know his i, was, I met with his whole team and they are in 25% of the high schools in America, their curriculum wow. isn't, I mean, they have an entire floor of their building. Is it like a budgeting curriculum or? It's a money curriculum. It's a finances yeah. curriculum. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and so a lot of it, obviously, budgeting is, incredible. Is, is, is a big part of that. In fact, uh, I think both of Sean's daughters had to go through this at Hellgate. Oh, uh, I don't, yeah. We're, we're, yeah. So um, we're on Patreon, so I can say where they went. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. I think that you could do something similar with minimalism as long as there's a caveat, a caveat that these rules are malleable for your own life. Because I agree with Steve. Some minimalist things might be thrust upon them. Mm-hmm. If something's thrust upon you, though, it's not minimalism because it's not intentional. Yeah. You have to carry, want to carry it with you in order for it to be minimalism. I think, dude, what's the, what's the ultimate goal? Out of all of this, man, it's to help people love people and use things. Yes. Because the opposite never works. So, yes, kids should absolutely be taught that. Uh, whether you can put that in school or not, I don't know. I mean, I don't see a curriculum that you could build off of minimalism. I do. I mean, I think the... I, yeah, it's certainly there, but like nothing is like... This doesn't spark like a, oh, yeah, this should totally be in high schools. I mean, I think what, what could happen is you and I could start going and talking in a lot more high schools. Yes. That, and and, and right. maybe maybe showing our documentary, uh, mm-hmm. Minimalism, or Less Is Now in, yeah. in high schools, I think um, could be really helpful because what it does is it doesn't provide a recipe. It provides a template. Right. Um, which they can turn into their own sort of recipe. You could also take something like the Minimalist Rule Book, the 16 Rules for Living with Less, but the only reason you could do that is because in there it says... These rules are malleable. And mm. so the 90-90 rule might be the 120-120 rule for you. Or the right. 30-30 rule might, might be the 40-40 rule for you or whatever. Like, and, and even within those rules, it might change within your household. Mm-hmm. Your teenage daughter, might, you might 
want to give them different rules from your teenage son based on where they are in life, what their interests are, etc. Mm-hmm. If one of them's really interested in camping and the other is interested in in soccer, well then they're going to have different uh, just in case or, or, or just for win items, etc. Um, they're going to have different things that add value to their lives, right? Yeah. And so understanding the rules are malleable is important, but can you set up a a curriculum that's based on principles and not specific tactics, I think probably. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So more on that to come. But thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter. I know we're a little bit over on time, but we're really grateful for your time here. Love people. Use things. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much, y'all. The Minimalists.